What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, hello there. I'm your host, Simon Wammons here. One of my writers, and in this case, Matt. Thank you, Matt, has written me a script, The Midnight Sun Killer. Terror of Anchor. Midnight Sun Killer definitely sounds like a movie. So hopefully this will be exciting. The format is, I've got a script in front of me. It's new to me. I've not read it before. Uh, we're going to explore it together. It's going to be fun. Let's go. It's probably not going to be fun. Why do you always say this? It's always funny. It's literally got killer in the title. The Terror of Anchorage. In Alaska? Anchorage is in Alaska, right? Yes. Let's go. The date is November the 12th, 2016, and the time is 4.30 a.m. in the morning in Anchorage, Alaska. The sunrise is less than an hour away, and a call goes out over the police dispatch. Answered by Officer Arn Salau. Dispatchers just received a call from a cab driver mere minutes prior about one of their passengers. After arriving at their destination, the passenger simply hopped out of their vehicle and walked off, refusing to pay. Salau said he'd check it out and started to make his way there. I've done this once. <laughs> this isn't a story, like a drunk story, where it's like, oh my God, I forgot to pay. I was like, um, I was actually in America, I was in New York, and I wanted to go somewhere. And uh, I ordered a taxi, and the taxi's like, absolutely, I can take you here, no problem. And it's like 10 minutes drive, no worries, let's go. And so I get in, and like 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by, and I'm like, wait, are we, we're, we're like driving rounds, we've been here before. Like, we're driving around in circles, so either you're taking me for a ride, or we're lost, and you're supposed to be a cab driver. And I was supposed to go to, um, this was a long time ago, uh, is the Colbert Report even on TV anymore? Is that still a thing? But this was back, it was more than 10 years ago, and my aunt uh, knew, like, a writer or a producer on that show or something, and she got me, like, a ticket, like, the last minute, and was like, please show up, because these are really hard to come by, and uh, it's a big favour for my friends. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Of course I'll show up. I'm in New York. Let's go. And uh, yeah, so this cab driver drives me around and I, I totally miss this thing. And then I'm like, mate, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, I don't know where it is. And I'm like, well, drop me off here then. And I go to get out and he's like, that would be like 20 bucks or whatever. And I'm like, are you f-ing kidding me? You Contract not fulfilled, mate. And so I just wander off. <laughs> I'm not sure is that. Uh, I mean, allegedly. <laughs> As he drove off, Officer Salau was no doubt on edge. Over the summer months, a killer had been wreaking havoc on the streets of Anchorage and already claimed five lives since July. Not much information was known about the culprit, only that witnesses described him as a white male with long brown hair, over six foot tall, wearing a camouflage jacket, and the weapon had been positively identified as a Colt Python 357 Magnum revolver. It's very specific. As Officer Salau crept closer and closer to where the cabbie reported being ripped off, he caught sight of someone. A man was walking down the street in the opposite direction to where the call had come from. Believing this to be the perp, Salau followed after them for several moments. The next two minutes were captured on Officer Salau's dash cam and was later released on the internet by the Anchorage PD for all to see. The man kept on walking, even as it became obvious that a police cruiser was tailing him. Eventually, Salau put his lights on and pulled up right behind the man. I mean, to, to be fair, that's fair. If there's a police car slowly following me as I walk along the pavement, I'm not stopping and being like, everything all right? 
it's their job to be like, is everything all right with you? Or like, buzz the lights. And then I'll be like, okay, look, if you buzz the lights, or like go whoop, whoop, I'm going to turn around and be like, what's up? And then I'm sure the officers will wave at me and I'll be like, what do you want? <laughs> but like, otherwise you don't, it'd be weird to stop and be like, why are you following me? They're police. <laughs> don't be confrontational. Eventually, Salah put his lights on and pulled up right behind the man, briefly getting out of his car to get his attention. Still, the suspect kept walking, not even turning around. Salah, frustrated, got back in his car and kept tailing him, turning on his megaphone. This is the Anchorage police. You need to stop. This is the Anchorage police. You need to stop. As soon as Officer Salau sent this message loud and clear over the megaphone, the man suddenly turned around. Without missing a beat, the man walked up to Salau's car just as the officer had put his cruiser in park. What this man does next, and the quickness with which he does it, is very disturbing to say the least. As Arn Salau looked up from at this imposing figure, the man removed something out of his pocket and raised his arm. We now observe, as we enter the darkness to unearth more of this twisted tale, Officer Arn Salau's eyes widen in recognition and horror as he looks upon the man wearing a black beanie to cover his long brown hair and camouflage jacket staring down the barrel of a colt python 357 magnum revolver as the monster squeezes the trigger bang 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 long days of light let's rewind and set the stage proper. Today we travel once more to Alaska, seemingly the one place besides Mexico where criminals believe they'll be safe from the long arm of the law. Yes, where they always go in the movies, like, where are you going? Like, our escape into Alaska, the great white north. No one will ever find me there. They might have a point, though, with its vast landscapes covered in snow, its massive forests and its large mountains and lakes. There's plenty of places to hide, yet much to admire as well. I guess so. I can't imagine ever wanting to live in Alaska, though. No offense to anyone who lives in Alaska, but I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I don't want it to be too hot. I don't want it to be too cold. I'm just like, can't we just have a nice temperate climate? It was like 34 degrees last week, and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, why? Why? Summer is not nice. It's too hot. Spring and autumn are where it's at. And then also in the winter, it's like, I don't like minus 30. No one likes minus 30. It's just, no. <laughs> People travel Alaska every year to camp, hike, mountain bike, and ski. They also have a booming economy with much of their exports coming from crude oils, as well as multitude of seafood and mineral oils. One of the most interesting facts about America's chilly northern stepchild is the length of the days and nights. It's not uncommon during the warmer months to have days where the sun is up almost all day long, the final rays of light only leaving the sky a little before midnight. It's because of this fact, and the time frame in which the majority of these cases took place, that our culprit became known as the Midnight Sun Killer. Oh, that makes sense. And this is like, I love the longer days. That's one of the best parts about summer. Like how it's like light in the morning when you wake up, it's light at night when you go to bed, at least it is for me because I've got kids that go to bed like nine o'clock i love that the problem is if you live in like a country like far north it's like great you know it's like light at 11 o'clock at night but it also means like in the winter it's like lunchtime and it's getting dark in like in in the is it in the arctic circle or in like the north pole or whatever it's dark for like three months <laughs> that is not i'd get i'd go crazy i'd get that um that sads disease seasonal affective disorder syndrome or whatever it is where it's like you know you just get depressed because it's dark all the time i think it's like winter comes and i'm like Ugh, dark or and i expect with bloody kids again it's like they get you know you get up at five and it's all oh, brilliant it's not gonna be light for three hours thanks guys love this love this the first bodies 
At 7.45 a.m. on July the 3rd, 2016, a bicyclist was riding along a bike path near the River Ship Creek. It was then that they got the shock of their life. Two dead bodies sprawled out on the side of the path. You see, folks, that's why you don't exercise. It only leads to trouble. <laughs> I was getting so into exercising. My doctor was like, you got to exercise. And I was like, okay. And now it's been a week and a half because I had the flu last week and it was brutal. Like, in bed, proper, like, can't get out of bed flu. And I was like, I'm feeling pretty good this week, but I was like, I'm not doing anything till Wednesday just in case it kicks it back off again. So tomorrow I begin exercising again. Hopefully I won't find any dead bodies by the river. That was, you know, don't exercise, folks. <laughs> the cyclist called the police who swarmed the scene. The victims were identified and two days later, the deaths were ruled as homicides. 42-year-old Jason Netta Sr. was the first victim. Jason was no saint, having had issues with the police in the past for drug-related activity. He also had long-standing family issues, particularly with his two daughters. It said that Jason had refused to pay child support to them or their mother, and the animosity had gotten so bad that one of his daughters had her last name changed so that she would no longer be associated with her father. Wow. You know you've been a shitty dad where you're, where your kids are like, no, no, I'm not getting married. I'm just... I'm just changing. I just, I just want to change my name. I just don't like you. You're a bell, and I want to have a different name. The second victim was 20-year-old Brianna Foisy. Like Jason, Brianna was a well had a well-documented history of drug abuse. It got to the point where her adoptive mother, Marcella Foisy, had staged an intervention in order to help her, simply wanting her to get clean and get her life back on track. But Brianna would hear none of it and would end up homeless as a result. What the two of them were doing there at that hour is unknown. Could it have been a drug deal? Could the two have been in the middle of some romantic get-together? Well, we'll never know, sadly, because on that early morning, they weren't alone. Coming upon the two, the villain of our tale walked up to them, Colt Python in hand, and coldly gunned them down. No emotion, no hesitation. Looking through hours of surveillance footage from the area, the police released images of two men that they believed could be persons of interest, though it's unknown if either of these images captured the real killer. Unfortunately, this wouldn't be the only two lives snuffed out by this brute, as he would strike again 29 days later. The Boy on the Bike On July the 29th, 2016, shortly after 3am, the killer struck again, this time in East Anchorage, and this time there were witnesses. Three girls were spending time together that night when they noticed something strange outside their window. They spotted a tall figure lingering near Boland Station underneath the streetlight, unmoving, looking in their direction before ducking into the woods. If that doesn't sound like something right out of a horror film, I don't know what does. It does. It's always one of those things you're like, ah that's creepy and then you're like yeah it's nothing it's nothing you know like when you're in your house and you're like you hear some rattling in the attic and you're like it's just the mice there's no one up there except the one time there is and then you get murdered Woo! soon after a young man was riding his bike to work just a day like any other he couldn't have known it but this would be his last day as he rode between Dubin Avenue and Boland Street, the figure stepped out from the forest and mercilessly unloaded his gun into the young man. Hearing the gunshots, the girls looked out of the window again and saw the victim fall. The figure then walked over, grabbed the bike, and rode off on it. Police soon arrived and identified the body as that of 21-year-old Travion Kindle Thomas, a bright young man with a good future ahead of him, a life cut short for absolutely no reason at all. It was soon determined that the weapon that took the lives of Foisy and Netta was also the one that took the life of Thompson that night. And just a note here, remember the name of that victim in particular, they'll come up again later on. Okay, the name is Thompson. Noted. 
Under the direction of Sergeant Slavomir Markovitz, the three girls were questioned along with other witnesses, and they all gave the same description of what they saw. After all the interviews were complete and all the testimonies were taken into account, a description was noted and a composite sketch was created. A man over six feet tall with a pointed face, slightly sunken eyes and cheeks, shoulder-length brown hair, and vacant, eerie eyes wearing a camouflage jacket. Surveillance footage from the area confirmed the story, showing the killer advancing on Thompson, gun outstretched, and walking out of frame before riding off back into frame on the bike. Unfortunately, it wouldn't be long for the darkness over Anchorage to claim even more lives. Another double kill. Another month went by before more bodies were found. On the 28th of August 2016, at around 1.42am, an unnamed woman was walking through Valley of the Moon Park, where she made a terrible discovery. The body of a young man was sprawled out on the trail, with several bullet wounds visible on his torso. The police were called, and searching the area, another body was found closer by, under a pavilion in the park, riddled with bullet bullets. Very little evidence was left behind at the scene of the crime, and it wasn't long before medical reports confirmed that, you probably guessed it, it was the same Colt Python revolver was involved in these murders as well. The beast's body counts had risen to five. Yeah, that's the thing. It doesn't matter if you don't leave lots of evidence, but if you're using the same gun over and over again, that's all the evidence they need. You see one episode of CSI, you know they're matching those bullets up. They've got that device where they twist it round and they look at the striations on the bullets and they're like, guess where this came from? That same killer's gun. And then as soon as they catch you, which they'll eventually do because you're a very sloppy killer, they're going to tie you to all of these murders and then they're going to execute you. Because I feel maybe that's something they do in Alaska, right? That feels like something they'd do there. Especially with all the criminals who apparently flee there. The body in the pavilion was identified as 34-year-old Kevin Turner. Turner had a history of mental illness, namely schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, and had been homeless at the time as had not, not fared well in assisted living facilities. The second boy on the trail was identified as non-binary 25-year-old environmental activist Brian Hussen, known to their loved ones as Bree. Brian's father, Gordon, spoke with police after the discovery of his kid, and he proposed a theory, one the police agreed with. It's believed Bree had been on a late-night bike ride in their, on their new Schwinn bicycle on their way to meet a friend. On their way there, they unknowingly stumbled upon the vicious execution of Kevin Turner. Before Bree could react, the murderer spotted them, marched right up to the terrified person, and gunned them down as to not leave any witnesses. Given that no link had been identified between Turner and Hassan, this seems highly likely. Wrong place, wrong time to cost a young person their life although honestly there doesn't seem to be a, there's not a connection between them but there's not a connection between any of these other murders they all just seem like horribly random like guys just wander around just killing random people vulnerable people why why it's size where it's like there's probably not a why they're probably just a psycho <laughs> Now, with five bodies on their hands, the investigation kicked into overdrive. A serial killer was officially on the loose, and the citizens were in a panic. The police sent out a warning to the people of Anchorage to stay away from isolated locations after dark. Following the more recent deaths, the FBI finally got involved. They offered up a $10,000 reward for any usable information on the killer, receiving about three tips a day over the next two months. In the description of the incident, they focused mainly on the Thompson murder, as that's what gave witnesses the best look at the killer. They also didn't release information about the murder weapon for fear the killer could ditch the firearm in a bid to avoid detection. I get the feeling, in a way, that using the same gun over and over again in random killings, apparently which would could otherwise be seen as like unrelated, just seems to the point of you are trying to get caught. On September the 6th, a press conference was held by the mayor of Anchorage, Ethan Berkowitz, to try and calm the populace, blaming the rising murder count on gang violence without mentioning the possibility of a serial killer. None of the victims, besides perhaps the first two, had any link to gangs. Things then went quiet for two months 
until November the 12th. The end of midnight. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Shopify. What does Shopify do? Well, they give entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big businesses. So startups, as well as established businesses, can sell everywhere. They can synchronize their online and in-person sales and just easily stay informed. They got that dashboard in the back end so you can see exactly how successful you are. Uh, Look, scaling a business is a journey of endless possibility. When you start, you might just be selling a little and then your business, hopefully, you know, it goes well. You know, with the assistance of our friends at Shopify, of course. And then when you're selling a lot, Shopify grows with you. You know, they are capable of whether you're a small little store or whether you are selling an awful lot of stuff. Spotify will be there and they are able to do it all. Look, whatever you're selling, Shopify is just the easier way to do it. You can reach customers online and across social media with an ever-growing suite of integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. And if I'm not mistaken... Don't hold me to this one because it's not on my copy points in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I got an email the other day saying that it now works on YouTube or will work on YouTube in the very near future, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Like I say, ever-growing, isn't it? Don't hold me to that one, but I, I, I really think so. Synchronize your online in-person sales. I said that already. Look, more than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is possibility, powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash casual. It's all lowercase, by the way, for a free 14-day trial to get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. It's shopify.com slash casual. Again, shopify.com slash casual. And now back to today's episode. Okay, so now we're all caught up and we're back to where we started, when the quiet early morning of November the 12th was shattered with an explosion of gunfire. The Colt Python 357 Magnum revolver erupted six times in a barrage of lead into Officer Salau, catching him in the gut. But Officer Salau, being a certified badass, managed to draw his weapon, exit his car, and return fire on the killer, even with his stomach gushing torrents of, torrents of blood. Wasn't he shot? He's shot six times in the stomach, and he still gets out of the car and returns fire. Legend. Things were looking bleak for Salau. He was losing a lot of blood fast. He attempted to grab the killer and get his gun away from him, but the odds were against him, at least initially. He's been shot six times in the dummy! However, Officer Salau wasn't the... With a Magnum! That's a big gun, right? However, Officer Salau wasn't the only one who'd answered the call over the radio. The second squad car came screeching up to the scene with Sergeant Mark Patsky of the K-9 unit exiting his vehicle, gun in hand. Together with Salau, he opened fire on the murderer, riddling the camo-wearing killer with bullets. He was dead before he hit the ground. The reign of terror that had anchorage in the grip of fear was finally over. Officer Salau was rushed to the hospital after the ordeal, losing consciousness soon after the killer fell. Salau, being a legend, survived six times. I made a video about what happens when you get shot, and it's, like, terrible. It's, like, worse than... You imagine being shot is, like, yeah, it's bad. But it's, like, the ongoing medical complications, the fact that your insides got all kinds of messed up, if a bone was hit, if it was some sort of hollow point bullet and all of this stuff, it's like, oh, my God. It's a mess. And this guy got shot six times and is just like, boom, full recovery. Hero. The gun was taken from the scene and sent to the lab where it was positively linked to all five murders. The killer was dead. And it was confirmed by the witnesses of the Thompson killing that they had their man. Finally, the cloak of mystery had been lifted and we had a name to thank for all the bloody bedlam. James Dale Ritchie. So who was James Dale Ritchie? 
James Del Ritchie was born in Anchorage, Alaska on November the 4th, 1976, making him 40 years old at the time of his death. He grew up in Anchorage and attended East Anchorage High School. A large man, six foot three, he was a star athlete, excelling at both football and as a defensive lineman and basketball, winning championships with both high school teams in 1994. During his downtime, he was known to hang out with his brothers, Bobby and Quincy Thomas, spending time with and growing close with their whole family during his teenage years. Now, just as an aside here, but remember when I said to remember that certain last name? Oh yeah, Thompson. Okay, so he's hanging out with these other guys called Thompson. Okie dokie. It's here that we come full circle as to why. Trevion Kindle Thompson, the third victim, was the son, the none other, of Bobby Thompson, Richard Ritchie's childhood friend. Wait, so he murdered his friends from childhood's son? On purpose? It's unknown if Ritchie had any idea who Trevion even was when he gunned him down in the street and took his bike. Now he just wanted to steal some kid's bike. That's all. And he murdered his old mate's kid. Well, I mean, he's a murderer. What do we expect? Murdering is what he does. Indiscriminately, apparently. Bobby Thompson, who was in prison at the time, was devastated to learn that the nice young man who had grown up with had taken his son away. After only a single semester in college, Richie dropped out and returned home. The reason for this change isn't known, but once he got back, his life started going downhill. In 1995, he had gotten into the drug scene and was known to partake in dogfighting. It's also known that by 1998, Richie would at times go by the nickname Tiny, not in an ironic way from his large size, but because allegedly the man had a tiny penis. <laughs> okay, I like to think so. Richie had his first run-in with police in 1998 in relation to a drug investigation. When the officers came to question him at his door, he reportedly reached for his waistband, only for a handgun to fall out of his pants. Oh no. It's like, oh, I dropped my illegal gun in front of the police. It reminds me of when I was at school. One of the most, it was just this bizarre scene. We must have been like 14 years old, and there was a kid in, in my year, and he was from Kazakhstan, this weird guy. It was like a boarding school, and so you know, he lived at school most of the year. And we were going to maths class, and he just trips, and out of his pocket comes a box of cigars, <laughs> and the cigars spill all over the floor in front of our maths teacher. And it's just this surreal scene that this 14-year-old kid's just rocking around with a box of cigars in his pockets. <laughs> Not even cigarettes, you know, like the normal vice of teenagers, but like proper cigars. And it's like, that's bizarre. And he was also, this kid was also... um he was the one who sold all the cigarettes and then he eventually got expelled because they went into his his room they like opened up his uh border's room and there were like thousands of cigarettes in there that he was just selling to everybody that they'd all bring in from kazakhstan every year in a giant suitcase it's kind of like kind of kind of you know respect that respect the hustle <laughs> oh my god this is bringing back so many memories and i remember our biology teacher was like he was doing that you know that smoking demonstration where they get that smoking monkey and they show you how terrible smoking is for you and he demonstrated the cigarettes from kazakhstan like the the kazakhstani marlboros or whatever they were and regular marlboros with these two smoking monkeys and the ones from kazakhstan it was like oh my the regular marlboros is like oh my god okay and then the ones from kazakhstan were like oh that's what that's like what a miner's lung looks like it was crazy thanks for that sidebar simon Arresting him, ah, oh, so the gun falls out on the floor in front of the police. Arresting him, they find a small electronic scale in his room, a stack of folded bills, and a baggie filled with several rocks of crack. In court, Richie pled no contest on all charges, being placed on probation for three years. In a letter to the judge, Richie stated, I lay in bed every night thinking about how I've ruined my life. Then I sit up crying, wishing I could go back to when I was in high school. I would have chosen a small Division II school to go play football at instead of a Division I college. I want to finish college, raise a family, and buy a house. In Instead, as a felon, I'll never be able to get a good job. 
it is crazy how like if you are a felon or whatever and then i i you know i've applied for jobs in the past and it's like do you have a criminal record and it's like oh, i don't so it's like no but can you imagine checking that box yes that's gonna be like it's gonna be so much harder to get a good job and then it's like doesn't that stay on there for like forever or a really long time and that's gonna really affect things and what do you think it's gonna do for like recidivism it was like yeah i, I mean and in a way it's like also i want to know if someone's a criminal and they're working for me <laughs> so but you don't want people to like go back into crime and if you take away their opportunities where do you think they're gonna go trouble only continued from there for richie while on probation in 1999 he was pulled over for driving erratically near columbine street and debar road telling officers he'd been drinking his car was searched and the officers found crack in the glove box and a loaded 45 caliber semi-automatic handgun in the passenger seat once more he pled no contest and once more he was given three years probation <laughs> YouTube sometimes throws up these amazing recommendations, right? Yeah, it was like yesterday. I was just browsing through my homepage, seeing what's up. And there's just this clip from like uh, police camera action, whatever, in Australia. And they pull they pull this dude over because he's like, I think he was swerving or whatever. And they're like, have you been having anything to drink tonight, mate? And he's like, yeah, yeah, mate. I had a, I had a beer. A couple of beers. Maybe a, maybe a few more than a couple. And then... And then the officer's just like, okay, mate, um, anything else? And he's like, and the guy's in the car's like, yeah, I got a long neck right, long neck right here, which apparently means like a bottle of liquor. Cause like right next to him, just jammed like in the passenger, in the console between the two seats or whatever. It's just like a full bottle of bourbon that he's drinking. And the police officer's like, all right, mate, well, what we're going to do is we're going to need to make you have a breathalyzer test. And he does it. And he shows, and they look at it in shock because he says 0.00. .00. And the guy's face is like, what? <laughs> it's amazing. And I also realized the viewer retention on that must be quite bad because I don't know how I didn't finish that video, but I don't know what happens in the end. I think I was in the middle of something. I must have got interrupted because I don't know how it ended. Like whether they arrested him anyway because he was clearly drunk, even though it was like, no, mate, no alcohol in your blood. <laughs> Between 2002 and 2005, he was arrested several more times, mostly for drug-related offenses. Each time, he received a lesser sentence. However, all of that changed in 2005 when he was arrested for first-degree burglary. Apprehended while committing the act, he was found with two handguns, plastic handcuffs, eight zip ties, and $5,500 in his pocket. These... Uh, dude, how are you getting arrested with so many guns and so much drugs, and you haven't been sent to prison forever yet? Come on! I mean, this is America! Don't you have that thing where it's like, you do three small crimes and then you go to prison forever? This guy's got to be in that three small crimes thing. Let's go. <laughs> what he had plans for the occupants is unknown, though I think we can hazard a guess. He was finally sentenced to jail time for his crime, serving only two years. America, what's going on? You're like the country of famously harsh sentences. Let's go. It was upon leaving prison that Richie acquired the Colt Python handgun. How the hell the guy was able to get another gun after he'd already done, after what all that he'd done is beyond me. Well, probably the same way he got the first guns, illegally. Soon after, he gave the Colt Python to a friend for safekeeping before moving down to Broadway, Virginia, in order to be closer to his parents. For years after his release and relocation, Richie was a law-abiding citizen with only a handful of traffic violations to his name. However, after he reportedly broke up with his girlfriends, Richie moved back to Alaska in March 2016, re retrieving his gun once he did so. Mate, nothing good happens for you in Alaska. Don't go back. Stay in Virginia. Come on. He resided in the neighborhood of Airport Heights for a time before moving to Pendham Parkway Trailer Park 
in Anchorage. Then something happened, perhaps a sign that Richie realized something was wrong with his mind. He sought out mental health treatment. The police looked into it after his death, but it's unknown if he received any kind of help that he sought, and soon after is when he went on a rampage that terrified the citizens of Anchorage for the entire summer of 2016. Looking at the spree killings, it almost appears that Richie didn't care that about getting caught, at least at first. Yeah, he's using the same gun over and over again. Hell upon stealing Trevon Kindle Thomas's bike, he brought it to his house where it was openly displayed and witnessed by many, though it was never linked to the murder until after he was identified. That's pretty ballsy, though. <laughs> Speaking of Thompson, his mother, Mandy Primo, was on the warpath after his death. She conducted an independent investigation, searching desperately for the identity of the person who stole her son away from her. She even at one point managed to identify Richie, by, uh, armed with his Colt Python near the Anchorage Regional Hospital in October 2016, a full month before the showdown with Officer Salau. She reported it to the police, claiming she intended to confront the man herself, but was advised for the sake of her own well-being, as well as that of the investigation, to not do anything, and the rest, as they say, is history. Cold in the Street Why? 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 It's the prevailing question we must all ask when it comes to cases such as this. Whether it be in relation to serial killers or a single quest killing, the question of why plagues us all. Unfortunately, this is one case where that answer will elude us forever. The one chance we had of uncovering that answer died on that sidewalk in the early, no early morning of November 2016, lying sprawled out in an ever-growing pool of his own blood, multiple bullet holes riddling his body. James Dale Ritchie, the Midnight Sun killer, was a demented man and a vicious murderer, with a motive that is an enigma to everyone involved, whether it be the police, his family, or the family and friends of those he gunned down in cold blood. Murders and other crimes in Alaska are ever prevalent, but this spree of death will continue to live on for its sheer ferocity and arguably complete randomness. Yeah, it just seems like something, something broke in his mind. He was on a bad path in life anyway. He had been in a lot of trouble with all the drugs and the prison and all of this stuff. And then it just seems he escalated and just kind of lost it. People do. They don't, just without any particular motivation, just just lost it. The ironic part is, as random as the attacks that Richie had perpetrated were, his demise was just as random. Had he not stiffed the cab driver, he never would have called the police. Had the driver never called the police, Richie would have never been confronted by Officer Salau on the streets, and the firefight would have never taken place. Richie was a phantom. He wasn't even near the top of the suspect list. Had he not made that one careless mistake, a seemingly thoughtless act, he could still have gone under the radar of the police. He could still have continued his rampage of death and bloodshed. It's chilling to think about, but it's also a grim reality that we thankfully don't have to live in. As Anchorage Police Lieutenant John McKinnon said to Alaska Dispatch News, Mr. Ritchie, we just came upon by happenstance. As of now, no other murders have been linked to James Dale Ritchie, although that hasn't stopped police from searching. His life is being gone through with a fine tooth comb by police in Alaska and in Virginia, seeing if his whereabouts and movements coincide with any other killings. One incident caught the eyes of investigators, that being a double homicide on January 28, 2016. 19-year-old Selena Annette Mullinax was found by a dog walker at an overlook called Point Warrensoff, and 20-year-old Foragen Aubert Morissette was found close by, passing away on the way to the hospital. Both these deaths remain unsolved to this day. While they seem to fit Richie's M.O., he was reported to have not come back to Alaska until March of that year, nor were they shot with his gun, as he didn't have it on him at the time, leaving his involvement in the deaths of these two young people rather unlikely. Yeah, okay, so two people were murdered, but in that's all. <laughs> and he was a murderer. There's he used the same gun all the time. He wasn't there. 
this is completely unrelated and people drawing that that conclusion are like just go find the real killers come on don't stop stop doing this go find the real killers for now we look back on the victims of this horrible monster it's their lives that mattered in this situation and it's them who should be mourned not the beast that ended everything for them all jason netta senior brianna foise trevon kindle thompson kevin turner brian dehusson these five unfortunate souls were lost to the world for no reason other than the deranged machinations of an evil man with a gun it is them who deserve to be remembered but as the world works it's the name of the killer the sections of history books a shame may james dale ritchie rot in whatever pit the devil wishes to throw him and maybe the five victims of the soulless monster rest easy knowing that the brute that took everything from them can no longer take from anyone else and that's where we end today's episode nice little short one today <laughs> nice simon what's wrong with you short one today if you enjoyed this episode if you enjoyed this show please do consider leaving it a review on apple podcasts or wherever you get your episodes and thank you for watching or listening seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.